It's wonderful our Savior, uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning, while you're standing to honor God's word as we... You tell me what you want me to do. I'm just going to turn this off. I'm just going to turn it out. Let's just use the pulpit. Let's use the pulpit mic this morning. Um, uh, a few things that Brother Max, uh, that Brother Max said that I, I want to give attention to again. Uh, first of all, it's great to be home. Um, church family, thank you for being patient. Our family's been gone. Uh, we missed one Sunday, but we were gone the better part of two weeks. And all of our, my parents, my wife's parents live in Missouri. And it was just, it was necessary. It, at some point, it becomes necessary just to make sure that your kids are interacting with their grandparents. And so we're able to, we're able to go there. Thank you for your patience with that. I'm only going to make this joke one more time. I've missed y'all because I haven't seen you since last year. And so, all right. Uh, uh, okay, I'm done. Um, uh, but it. It, the time was the time was very good. Thank you for praying for us and being so, being so gracious with us. And then uh, a pastor who's a dear friend to us, but then also a friend to this church, John and Misty Vaught. We ended that trip. Um, his daughter got married, and she asked me to have a part in doing that wedding. And so we did that as well um, in Phoenix on Friday, and then got home yesterday. So thank you. Uh, very much for all that. It's great to be home. And then I'm thankful to have Kyle and Annie Sheridan here with us, Missionaries Patagonia, Chile. And we're so we're so thankful that we get to be engaged with them. They they are they are here for a time of reprieve and rest. And sometimes missionaries take furloughs so that they can report back. They've already done that once. This one is more about just their family having some time to rest. And I I trust him and them in the pursuit of this. They believe God would just have them to be here while they're doing that. They have family in the area, and so it just it works out really well. Their children's names are Micah, Patrick, Abigail, and Hudson. And so if you can get to know them, they're already getting plugged into the Sunday school classes and making friends. Well, let's do a good job. If they're going to be here, we want them to be refreshed. And we'll talk more about that tonight, but we want to be a blessing to them. And you'll be blessed just by getting to know them, I promise. They're a blessing. Excited about uh, Miss Annie's going to be preaching and all that kind of stuff. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around a little bit. All right. So Brother Kyle told me he was going to be napping through the message this morning. And so I, I'm just paying him back a little bit anyway. All right. Enough of that. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10. We're continuing with our series in the book of Luke, and this isn't a, I, this wasn't on my brain, I'm just thankful for the Lord's orchestrating his providence um, for this message for the beginning of a new year. And so verse, if there's something we ought to care about, and there's more than one thing, but this ought to be one of the main things that we care about, Luke chapter 10, verse 1 after these things, the Lord appointed, this is an important word, other, 70 also. So he already has the 12. And in chapter 9, he's been teaching the 12 a whole lot of lessons about ministry. And so he appoints other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. 
Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, carrying neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. The idea there is to trust God's provision. We'll talk about that. But when it says go not to house, house to house, he's saying don't be looking for uh, someone who has a bigger house or a nicer house or instead of chili is serving you steak every night. He's saying this, be content with my provision in your life is what he's talking about. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your feet which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable. Now the next few statements are amazing. It shall be more tolerable in that day, speaking of the day of judgment, for Sodom than for that city. So he is comparing Sodom and their rejection of God in normal creation how he created men and women and the depravity that they sank into because of their rejection of God. He's saying to these cities and towns of Israel, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day than for you. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. That's a, that statement, he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me, is so rich in theological implication He's again affirming this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am one with God. And then we'll end with the very first part of verse 17. And the 70 returned. The 70 returned. I'll remind you of this when we get back to that point. But they returned because they went. They returned from going to people. That Jesus loved. So here's the title. The Lord's School of Evangelism. Lord's School of Evangelism. You may be seated. Trust God to bless the preaching. At this time, a family is going to uh, go ahead and get that stuff. I forgot I don't have a mic anymore. <laughs> this is going to be fun, man. I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to have to hold on to this today. <laughs> Family's going to sing a song about the faithfulness of our Redeemer's love. And then we'll get to the preaching.
darkest nights or darkest deep, be there pain or poverty, there is nothing that can keep my Redeemer's love from me. All
sure are thankful for the inexhaustible love of Jesus Christ. So, so good to us. Uh, Miss Jessica, I don't know where she went. Where you at? Anyway, she had to go take care of a baby. She was uh, our piano player. She did a great job with the offertory this morning. And, man, so thankful for that. But she was making fun of me today. She said, are you going to cry? And I said, well, now I'm not. And... <laughs> So Ashlyn, the young lady that was standing next to me, her mom was taking her off to college uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, so I'm thankful we get to sing together one more time as a family. We don't take those things for granted, and so pray for many more opportunities, but thankful to do it one more time as a family. Well, if you notice in verse number one, we've called this series a savior for all sinners, and if there is a subject that there are two subjects in particular, all of it I need, I need all of it, but there are two subjects that I know that I cannot hear enough about, and, and I probably ought to end up at the altar every time I hear a, a message or a lesson on one of these two subjects. The first is prayer, and, it, and, and I'm not saying that I'm not praying, but there's a difference between praying and praying as much as you should, and, and I'm just, I'm being transparent with you. I, I hear su- that, that subject, and I'm convicted about it. And the second one is what we're dealing with this morning, and that is our responsibility as children of God to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. I could hear a message on this every week, and I would be convicted about it every single time that I heard it. So in verse number one, it says, after these things, all the interactions and all the experiences of the previous chapter, I'm not going to go through all of them, but the disciples have been in a phase of learning a lot of hard lessons. Uh, They go up, a few of them are chosen to go up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, and they sleep through half of it, and then they wake up, and Peter declares what he thinks it means, rather than just letting Jesus, God himself, tell him what it means. So then they come down from the mountain, they find a young man that is in need of the healing help of God, which these disciples have been equipped to provide, but because of their lack of faith, they are unable to provide it. And then there's this series of lessons where they think Jesus is going to think one way, and he demonstrates to them over and over again, I think in a completely different way than you do, and there's so much valuable truth there. And the purpose for that and the reason for the transition in verse number one, the transitional statement after these things, is because Jesus was trying to equip them for this passion of his heart. It's to reach people. And so after these things, Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. It will still be about a year at this point in Luke, a year, a year and a half, something like that. I don't have the exact numbers But he is certainly, Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and there he knows he's going to be crucified. He understands that that is his purpose. And so he would be feeling, obviously, the urgency to reach as many people as he could during his physical time on this earth, and then to prepare his followers to be as effective in the ministry of reaching people with his gospel in the time that he had remaining. Listen, if you know that you have a limited amount of time, it increases the urgency with which you do things. Look, I've, I've been through this now twice as a dad. Um, Alexandra, who was playing, she's still in school, but she's doing it online. 
And so she's back home. But I, I remember just the tearing away that takes place in the heart of a parent. Because once a child goes off and leaves home, they, they can come back. But it's just different after that. And if you've never been through that, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you that things change and those dynamics change. And so now we're doing it again with Ashland. And there has been this awareness in my brain. And, and I'm just being honest with you. Part of the reason that we prioritize taking our kids back to Missouri for Christmas is because of my children are beginning at an increasing rate to leave home. And I just want to have time with them and their grandparents. There's an urgency about it. Okay, get this. There should be nothing about which we are more urgent than people dying without knowing Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is about to give his life and he's trying to reach as many people in Jerusalem, in Israel rather, as he can on his way to Jerusalem. And just as urgently, he is trying to prepare those who would carry on that work. And subsequently, all of those churches and believers that would be born out of that first church of the disciples and those 70 and others. And that we read about in Acts that was started while he was on the earth. He's trying to prepare us to be effective in reaching people. He cares about it so deeply. In verse 2, we see that the scope of the need was and is, from a human standpoint, immeasurable. The harvest it truly is great, is the statement that Jesus made. Jesus was not one, is not one, prone to exaggerate. You know how sometimes we can say something like, man, the fish that I caught was like, I don't know, man. When I was reeling it in, it felt like a great white and kind of blacked out there. I mean, we've already cut it up, but just trust me. Trust me. With your little Snoopy pole. <laughs> anyway. When Jesus said the need is great, you can assume that his, he is accurately assessing the need. No, number one, the, the need of individuals is great. No, no, think about how much havoc and chaos is being wrought in the lives of people without God. I do not say this as a condemning statement. I don't say it with a critical spirit. I'm telling you to simply observe the confusion and the insecurity and the animosity and the anxiety and the cluelessness and the fear that is paralyzing people and the addictions that are laying waste and the broken hearts that are causing people to end their lives when they should have hope for the future. I'm telling you, people around us have a desperate need for Jesus. But the scope of the number of people that need Jesus is great. And we don't. I know you know this. You've heard me say this so many times. And it's not true because I say it. I say it because it's true. We are far beyond a Christian nation. Care not what our money says. Don't care what's written on our national symbols. We are a post-Christian nation. Now, I'm still thankful for the freedom to declare Christ. And that some of our leaders, I thank God for this, are affected by a relationship and a faith in Jesus Christ, at the very least, an awareness of God, an awareness of divine and unchanging truth. I'm, I'm thankful for those things, 
but in a nation that buys into the idea of God that can be manipulated for your own purpose and agenda. That is not biblical Christianity. We, we see all around us, and that's just in our country. Go into Canada. Go into Mexico. Continue to go south. Go west. Go east. And you will find nations and villages and cities thronging with people who've never even heard his name. Stephanie gave me permission to reference this. I'll write not in prayer. She recently went on a medical missions trip in, in South America. I think it was Ecuador, Honduras. It's just teeming with people who are both physically but even more importantly, spiritually desperate for Jesus. So Jesus does something to increase the number. Please get this. Jesus does something here in verse number three, I believe, to increase the number of people that are being reached. Okay, the title of this series again, A Savior for All Sinners. Okay, who is a sinner outside of Jesus Christ? Everybody. Okay, so Jesus wants to be the Savior for everyone. Everyone that is alive right now, Jesus wants to be their Savior. Everyone that has been, Jesus wanted to be their Savior. Everyone that will be, Jesus wants to be their Savior. He is the Savior who desires to save all people. They say, do you believe in predestination? Yes, biblical predestination. We're not afraid of Bible terms. We're not afraid of Bible truth. And we need not go into a ditch because God says that he can know things in advance. God knowing that something will happen in advance is not the same as God making it happen. And he is available to anyone who will believe in him. And if you choose to believe in him, it's because you have the ability to believe in him. And if you reject him, it's because you used your ability of belief and chose to reject him instead. Jesus does not say, you go to heaven, you go to hell. In fact, much of what is written about predestination has to do with what happens to a person after they get saved. You are predestined to become like him. So it has to do with the work after salvation, not whether or not you get saved. So Jesus, here in this chapter, he's doing something to increase the number of people being reached. Please get it. Jesus wants as many people that can be saved to be saved. The disciples, I love this, the disciples had already been sent out, and they had already been corrected in chapter 9 about being too exclusive. You remember John in chapter 9? Hey, Lord, we saw some people casting out demons in your name, but we rebuked them. Here's why. You can look it up later, because they weren't with us. Okay, let me tell you something. In the work of reaching people, Jesus doesn't care about your ego. It's not about, well, they reach this many, and they reach this many, and man, I need to reach. No, no, no. You don't need to reach more people because of what anybody else is doing. You need to reach more people because there are more people that need to be reached. 
is not about an ego. It's not about how many people we can put on Facebook. It's not about how many people we can announce to the world and kind of stack up our numbers. It's that no matter how many people we reach, there are more people that need to be reached with the love of Jesus Christ. So we know two things for certain about Jesus' evangelism philosophy. Jesus wants to reach as many people as possible, number one. Okay, please get this. As a church, just sharing some philosophy here. As a church family, you say, how big is too big? We are not after a number. Have a low day, have a high day. We're not after a number. We are after individuals. And so if God sees fit to fill this place up, which he has... I don't know, just as a reminder, a lot of our youth are sitting in the room behind the sanctuary watching the service through the live stream to make more room in here. Praise the Lord for that. We need the regular attenders to be willing to keep filling up the front so that there could be more room in the back for guests to sit in. Praise the Lord for it. You say, well, what's the purpose of building programs? It's not to make a name for ourselves. It's to have more room to reach more people so that more people can know Jesus. That's the point. So here's the second thing we know for certain. Based on verse number one, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Jesus wants to use his people to reach as many people as possible. Man, this is deep this morning. Jesus wants to reach as many people as possible. Jesus then wants to use his people to reach as many people as possible you know we get excited we'll say amen we'll weep we'll hug we'll ask people to sign our bibles you start talking about the greatness and the provision of god come on don't go to sleep on me okay so and so got healed and he does no i agree with brother nate it's not the way weirdos make it but god does still heal people today no, you can pray. No, you can pray. And God has the ability to heal in miraculous, undescribable ways. I'll praise his name for it. Man, we'll shout about that. We'll clap about it. We'll praise his name. He doesn't choose to heal everyone, but he does choose to heal some. He's able. It's a great testimony. It's amazing when you get money just in time. It's amazing when you get a job just in time or you get a promotion that you didn't expect or when a relationship suddenly is salvaged and God delivers and God helps and God rescues. Man, we love the incredible, sovereign, all-powerful provision of God. Man, we love it. We shout amen about it. But when someone stands up here and says, We'll say amen to Jesus wants to reach as many people as possible. Like, amen. Go reach him, Jesus. I know you're aware of this, but Jesus' means of reaching people is through the people that he's already reached. Take what you have received and share it with those who have not yet received it. So we say, Jesus wants to use his people to reach as many people as possible. And we suddenly get less excited because of the implication on our lives. Now I'm going to say it again. We suddenly get less excited because of 
and whether you, whether you say you agree with it or not, I know biblically the Holy Spirit of God bears witness of this truth in your heart. We get quiet because of the implication of this upon our lives. Absolutely. So I just want to show you a few things. Jesus here is trying to prepare them to be effective in reaching people. It's Jesus' evangelism school, if you will. And just four things, I alliterated it for Brother Feovi because I know how much he likes that. First of all, I want you to notice the method of Jesus. In verse number one, he talks about two things, go together and then go to every place that I'm going to go. Jesus doesn't expect us to be maverick witnesses. No, there might be in certain cases where it's like, man, you're the only Christian at work, or I'm the only believer in my family. No, I, I get that. But this is why it's so important to be a part of a local family, a local body, because you can be encouraged in it. And we need to be in the labor of reaching people together. This is why it's so import, important to have ministry partnerships like we do with Kyle and Annie Sheridan. Because God's call upon their life to go does not relinquish us from the responsibility to be a help to them going and to be a source of refreshment in the going. Look, Brother Kyle can speak more to this at the appropriate time, but one of the greatest challenges that missionary families deal with is loneliness and isolation and just the discouragement that comes from sometimes not having an association or interaction with people that have the same kind of faith and mentality as you. Listen, it's important to be a part of a church family where you are encouraged to reach people. Where's the priority? But then notice this, that they went to every place, every city and place where Jesus would go. Jesus came to go to all the world. And so they were sent, every place I'm going to go, you go. <laughs> so ask yourself this way, where would Jesus go today? Oh, yeah, this is a good question right now. Uh -huh. Where would Jesus go today? Well, Jesus wouldn't go in that neighborhood. Well, Jesus wouldn't go to, to that school. Well, Jesus wouldn't talk to the people at that store. Look, I'm not talking about being careless with our testimony. I am saying this, that wherever there are people, there is a Savior that cares about those people. That's the method of Jesus. Go together and go to every place where there are people. Number two, the manner of Jesus. We see several characteristics in verse 2 through 12. The first one we see in verse number 2. He said unto the ones that he called, he said, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He said, pray, be prayerful that God would equip, that God would call more people into the ministry. How often do you pray for God to use you to reach others? Now, here's what we do. It's like, yeah, that's the pastor's job. Yeah, I mean, Brother Adam, that's, that's his job. He's... The associate pastor, yeah, Brother Nate, he's a song leader. He need, if he's going to get up there and lead us in singing about victory in Jesus, he, need, he needs to be doing it. And Brother Max, if he's going to get up there and talk about it, 
than how it meaningful it is to him, then he needs to do it. And if Don and Jerry Jessup are going to lead the Royal Heirs, and, and if Robbie and Marcella Wicken are going to lead the youth, and if Tina Stevens is going to teach that class, and Zanon and Rachel are going to lead the children's ministry, and we just go on down the list, and Dave and Tina Thomas are going to teach Sunday school classes, and and be deacons and leadership, and, and if Jeff and Dana Katona are going to lead the safety ministry and have such influence in the life of our church, we're going to have, yeah, they need to do it. No, 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 no. When's the last time you prayed about God using you to reach that neighbor you know needs God? Reaching that family member that you know desperately needs God. Learning how to invest in someone you don't yet know with the gospel. Number two, he says in verse number three, I'll send you out as sheep, as lambs, excuse me, among wolves. The implication here is to be gentle. God doesn't call us to be angry and violent. No, there is a time to take a stand. There is a time to be strong. And the, the implication of a lamb isn't, when it comes to the gospel, isn't a lack of confrontational in the right way boldness. But it has to do with having a gentle spirit. Look, you can't, I'm not being, trying to be irreverent here. Please don't be, please choose to not be offended. But when you read the gospels, Jesus was not a pansy. Jesus was not a flake. Jesus was not a coward. He said to the religious establishment, you're like serpents. You're like vipers. You're like, you're like dead sepulchers with bones in them or something like that. No, we're not talking about not confronting evil. But when he dealt with sinners who needed him, he loved them gently. Gentleness. Man, we got so many angry Christians today. The next thing he says in verse number four through eight, he talks about a lot of things. Let me read this again. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. He's talking about a focus and a very clear mission. I can't go hang out here and I can't go hang out here and I don't need to take a bunch of stuff that's going to burden me down. He is not talking about not having what you need to live and this idea, people take direction to the disciples in that context and say, man, why do missionaries need to be supported? Why should a church take care of its pastor? That's not what this is talking about here. It's talking about a very focused life and where you're not being distracted with a bunch of different things. And in, into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace be to this house. And, and then he goes on to say, in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborers worthy of his hire, go not from house to house and into whatsoever city <coughs> excuse me ye enter and they receive you eat such things as are sent before you the the way i describe this this section is this be genuine he's telling them, don't go into people's houses seeing how much you can get from them and how much you can get from them don't go around like i need to look for the best deal it, i know i know i have this in common with the sheridans I've, i haven't asked them about this i know i have this in common they are in Patagonia, Chile, because they know God has put it in their heart to be with those people. Is that fair? Okay. Here's why I'm here. Because I know God has placed a call in my life to be in this place with these people. Now, look, this church can decide we don't want you here anymore, and then I'll have to reevaluate that. I mean, Jess is the only one laughing at that, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> Like, eh. 
Didn't know we could. <laughs> you can decide, yeah, you're not going to be here. But I look, they didn't go somewhere because of the promise of something physical. They went somewhere because God sent them. I didn't come here because of the promise of something physical. And look, here's what ministry can become, and it does. Well, can I, it's like people approach a career. Can I get a better deal over here? Or can I get a better deal over here? Or can I, I, just, I, I need your minds to never go to that place because my loyalty to this church is not based on anything but the command of God to be in this place. No, I'm thankful for the priority that this church places on caring for our family and that we place in caring for families like the Slagles and like Miss Carrie and others who labor and work. That's biblical. It says it here. The laborer is worthy of, our hi of their hire. And we ought to support missionaries. And praise the Lord, we shouldn't want missionaries to have to pray for every single meal to come in. Well, let me go ahead and talk about it for a minute. This is all free, not even in my notes. But our goal shouldn't be to support missionaries at a level that they have to pray for some kind of noodle or bread to show up to feed their kids. Like, man, how much money are they getting? Why are you worried about that? How about your attitude be, let's send them as much as we can so that they can focus on the ministry down there. And if they happen to get enough that they can do some fun things with their kid, by the way, in a foreign country in which you don't live, don't be jealous of that. Praise the Lord for that. It's all free stuff right now. I didn't even know where this came from. Hallelujah. Be genuine. Last thing. We're talking about, I know this has gotten lost, the manner of Jesus. Be prayerful, be gentle, be genuine. And when you go to work, people ought to know about you, that you're real. Yeah, he says he goes to church, but then I've heard him talking in the cafeteria. Yeah, she says that she, says that she reads her Bible, but I have heard her say more negative things about our boss than I hear any of these ladies that cuss ever say. Just be genuine. And the next thing, be kind. They went out and, and they healed people. In verse number nine, they healed the sick. You remember that the ability, we're getting somewhere with this, please hang on. We, they, they did these miracles and the point of the miracles wasn't the miracle in themselves because people that got healed still eventually died. The point of the miracle was to authenticate the message of the gospel. You know what your behavior does? It either validates or invalidates the message of the gospel. Look for opportunities to be nice. No, literally, be kind to people in a way that you can then draw their hearts to Jesus Christ. That was the manner of Jesus. Number three, we have the message of Jesus. In verse number nine, we see this. Mm, heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Here's the first part of that message. It's hope for those who are willing to believe. Listen, we, we run around like the gospel isn't the most amazing message ever. 
No, it's literally forgiveness and eternal life for anyone who will simply believe in Jesus. Nobody has to come to West Valley to get saved. Nobody has to get baptized in order to be saved. Nobody has to go through a 10-week class in order to get saved. You get saved. You get eternal life. You get the Holy Spirit of God. Not by losing yourself in something, but by intentionally, on purpose, acknowledging, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And you believe in him. And the moment you do that, you are born again. Eternal life. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. Made completely whole. But then there's a second part of this message that we get squeamish about. There's judgment for those who reject him. Verse number 11, he says, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And it was a symbolic motion they were to go through to demonstrate before God, we've been faithful to declare the truth, but these people have rejected the truth. And so it's, we've got to remember that there is judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ. Look, nobody likes this reality. You shouldn't like this reality. In fact, God says this. I believe it's in Ezekiel. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You, you celebrate people being under God's judgment? That is not a good attitude to have. No, is it warranted? Is it deserved? Yes, but I deserve it too. You know, we, nowhere in the Bible does God tell us to celebrate the demise and the judgment of those who reject him. But neither are we to ignore it in the presentation of the gospel. Here's what we do. Sometimes I have been guilty of this, not being careful enough about this. We don't need to run around screaming and yelling at people. I'm not, I'm, I've already dealt with the gentleness aspect. When, when, when someone says, you know, I just think that whatever we believe is good enough, you better have an answer for that. Because whatever we believe isn't good enough. If it were, Jesus would not have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I understand people have questions about all these different religions. I totally understand that. What we are presenting to people is not a religious system. We are presenting a relationship with the God who gave himself for them. And there is consequence to rejecting that. Number four, the last thing, and then I'll make the point, the mitigation of Jesus. Mitigation means to lessen. Not everyone, get this, not everyone is going to accept the message of Jesus' love. Notice he already said in verse 12 to, or 11 to shake off the dust of your feet. And that implies moving on. In verse number 16, he says this, And he that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Some people are going to reject the gospel and reject your effort, some family member, some co-worker, some neighbor. I've had many people, some kindly, some unkindly, say, listen, I just don't want to talk about that. And look, at that point, I respect that. It's not my job to take a sledgehammer, and that's why, just as a philosophy point, we don't go banging on a bunch of people's doors who have a sign that says, don't bang on my door. That's disrespectful, and you might be able, through the providence of God, to reach someone at a restaurant or at work or at an event that you couldn't reach at their front door. 
You don't have to agree with that. I'm just telling you our philosophy here. Eh, people tell me I don't want to talk about Okay, can rejection hurt? Sure, but here's the problem. We got way too many believers that are really offended when someone rejects the gospel. It is one thing to long for them, to pray for them, to be broken for them, to try again at the appropriate time. It's another thing to get all offended at them. Here's what Jesus is saying. Number one, move on. Verse number 11, just move on to the next person. God's not done, move on. And he might even come back around and work in that person's life again. He's trying to help you mitigate being offended when somebody rejects it. That's why he says in verse number 16, when someone rejects the truth, they're not rejecting you even though you feel it. They're rejecting me. So don't get offended on your own behalf. We need to stop walking around like persecuted victims. No, do are there believers suffering persecution? Yes, that's a different subject. But when someone says no to the gospel, don't hang your head. Pick up your head. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ and move on to the next person while continuing to pray for that person. So what are we supposed to do with all this? Remember, Jesus wants to use his people to reach as many people as possible. Have you ever had someone... I've been guilty of this as a dad. Had someone expect you to do something, but then you didn't equip them to do it. So I tell my kids, hey, I want you to go change this tire. I want you to go fix this. And then, like, we don't know how to. And I'm like, I don't either. Go ask your mom. <laughs> like, why aren't you doing this? And then Andrea will say, babe, they don't know how to do it. A lack of knowledge is not the problem with American Christians when it comes to evangelism. Can we be real? We have access to information at an unfathomable level. Okay, let me, let me, I'm, I'm about to land the plane, okay? I googled three statements just to demonstrate this. These are all statements that I made up and that I just came up with in my brain, Okay? How to, build a how to build a spaceship. I googled that. The reason is because if Elon Musk is going to take people to the moon, we need to be ready to plant Space Valley Baptist Church on the moon. <laughs> how to Google a spaceship. Get this. In point two eight seconds, over 252 million links came up. Now, you're like, well, you know, they connect them and they look for similarities and the moving parts of the Internet and smart stuff and words that I don't know and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I'm just saying there's 252 million entries that connect to how to build a spaceship, and it came up in less than half a second. Here's the second, <laughs> second thing I typed in. <laughs> My wife laughs like a goat. <laughs> no, look, mine doesn't. Andrea does not. I just wanted to type that in. This is just, again, I'm just random things. My wife laughs like a goat. In point four two seconds, nine million five hundred and thirty thousand links came up. I'm like, is this a problem? Do I need to offer counseling on this? Like, there's all these husbands, and they just don't know how to say it. I mean, they're just like. 
my baby is just really having a hard time. And I'm not do Okay, I'll stop. Here's the last thing. I Googled this. Literally, just this is what you just need to praise the Lord. I don't tell you everything that goes on in my brain because this is a fraction of it. Last thing. I Googled, my chicken has a bad attitude. I Googled that. In point two seven seconds, over 43 million results came up. And at the very top was this gem of a quote, and it will forever be in my notes. There's a foul psychologist. And you can take the word foul however you want. Who said aggression and feather pecking or plucking are the two most common behavioral problems in chickens. You know what that's called? Being a chicken. (laughs) what What are you getting at, Pastor? Information is right there. And that's just ridiculous information. No, information's there. No, 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 no. As a child of God, it's not that you don't know how. Here's the statement. The statement is this. The problem with evangelism in American churches is not a lack of education, but a lack of execution. Just different research centers, Pew Research, says about half of the U.S. say they seldom or never talk about religion with people outside their family, and roughly four in ten say they seldom or never discuss religion even with members of their immediate family. And that's not talking about born-again believers who actually believe in the gospel. That's just a religious discussion. You know, don't talk about politics or don't talk about religion. Flip those, and those are my two favorite things to talk about. Jesus, politics, and sports. And I can make everybody mad. And then I'll throw in the weather just so we can find something to agree on. Barna, who is based more on a Christian perspective, said that data shows that Christians, that they describe it as many Christians feel a calling to share their faith. And they estimate around 52% of those who attend church at least monthly say their fourth is a important to them and strongly believe they have a responsibility to tell others about their religious beliefs but only half of believe it's a responsibility and just because you feel something doesn't mean you are actually doing it <coughs> let me remind you <coughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry let me remind you of what jesus said the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few. An Irish proverb says this, you'll never plow a field by turning it over in your mind. You know what we're guilty of? Can I tell you what I'm guilty of? Thinking about needing to witness, but never witnessing. Thinking about needing to pass out a tract pass out a track thinking about needing to try to set up a coffee appointment to at least try and have a conversation 
You're like, I don't know how. We start by admitting to Jesus that you're not. Number two, you follow the example of Jesus, which is this. Go to the people that you have access to and talk to them about how good God has been in your life. Don't be a weirdo about it. God's been good in my life. Can I tell you what he's done? Listen, I, I've told you years ago we got convicted of this. We have eight kids. Anywhere we go some time, we go somewhere, it's a scene. And, and I got convicted. People would say, man, your kids behave really well. And I would go, thank you, like I'm some kind of parenting genius. And God convicted me. That's an opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ. And so it even happened again on this trip. And I praise God for it. Man, people just in public are not used to seeing that many kids not losing their minds. And just obeying their parents and being nice to each other. And so they see our daycare walking along. And our kids aren't perfect. They're, you know they're reprobates, for crying out loud. They held it together for one special. And that's why we didn't let all of them up here. You know, listen, we, we, we go out there, but someone, again, it happens. Someone's like, man, your kids are well-behaved. And I said, well, God has been really good to us, and Jesus has helped us with this. And you're like, well, th does it always turn into an incredible conversation? No, but I at least can sow some seed that maybe God can do something else with down the road. I'm just telling you, st stop, stop buying into the lie of the culture that you have to have a Ph.D. in everything to talk about anything I don't need a PhD in chickenology to know why chickens claw and peck. No, 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 no. I'm not buying into the cultural mandate that I can't have an opinion on something that I didn't get a degree in. God has given us intelligence. He's also given you the word of God and the experience of what Jesus has done. And if you're willing to learn from him, he can use you to reach people. The problem with evangelism is not a lack of education. It's a lack of execution. We have tools. We provide them. We have the spirit of God. We have the gospel. So here's the question. Are you engaged in the gospel? Are you engaged in reaching people like Jesus would want you to be? You got weight loss goals this year? You got money goals, you got exercise goals, you got family time goals, all of them good. All of, you got reading goals, all good. I'm not against any of them. At any point during the work of deciding what your goals would be, did you think to say, God, could I do better at helping other people know you? Did that enter into your mind at all? Well, pastor, I got a lot of hard things going on. Hey, I'm not minimizing your hardship, but God will use your hardship to help you be accessible to other people going through hardships. Look, you can't live the rest of your life focused only on what you've lost and what's gone wrong. You've got to see how God can help you. And that doesn't mean you're not allowed to have bad days, but it does mean that God can use the hardship and the difficulty and the loss to help you be more sympathetic to hurting people who need to know Jesus. And there are some of you who have been through such great grief that you have the power to help people if you just let Jesus use you. Stop blaming it on what I don't know how. We tell our kids to go do something We're like, dad, mom, I don't know how. Sometimes they're telling the truth, but sometimes they're making an excuse. And for most of us, come on, come on. We're just making excuses. It's not a matter of education. 
It's a matter of execution. Are you engaged? To the young people in the back, get this. Are you engaged like you need to be? Like, oh, I'm not an adult yet. You are accountable for being a witness if you're a child of God. And you can reach so many people that adults can't reach because of social dynamics of the day. You can be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Stop, young people, stop making excuses. If you know Jesus, are you engaged? with the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Miss Jess will start playing as soon as she gets there. I want to ask you this one question. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ask you one question. I am not as engaged in helping people know Jesus as I need to be. That's the question this morning. I am not as engaged and helping people know Jesus as I need to be. Would you raise your hand before the Lord? Just hold it for a moment. If you're serious about it, hold it. Yep, yep, yep. I've got mine up too. I see him. I see him. Okay, so can we do this? If we're serious about it. I'm not, the goal is not to feel something. The goal is not even just to admit something. The goal is to be. So if you know, I'm not asking.